baby, Twitter gonna drag you when they find out you with this white <laughs> woman. Like, you, it's over for you. It's over for you. Hi, this is Lori. Hi, this is Layla. And we're back for season two of Cringe Watchers. We're kicking off our second season with a live event that we taped at Soho Works in Brooklyn. Thank you so much to everyone who came out. And if you weren't there, don't worry, COVID protocols were in place. We have big things planned for season two. So please do become a patron today to help support the podcast and bring all these exciting ideas to fruition. You get access to perks, including early notice about live events like the one we just did at Soho Works. So we hope you enjoy this episode. The energy from the live audience was incredible. And I want to give a special shout out to Che for being there. Enjoy. Welcome to a special live edition of Cringe Watchers, a podcast where we invite our expert friends to binge watch TV and talk about sex. For this episode, we watched Ted Lasso and we asked Cecily Bowen, when it comes to age, how much should we mind the gap? So, Layla, are you cringing or binging this week? I am cringing this week. I'm also binging a lot of TV, but I will tell you and our guests that Probably like a lot of you, my inbox is full of uh, requests for referrals for DEI trainers and uh, experts. And I am cringing not at that request, but just at the one off nature of that request. I'm on a lot of communications listservs, and I keep getting inundated with email for one-off trainings at organizations as though that's going to change the tide of what's happening in this country. So I am very happy that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a growing conversation in this country. This is no shade to my day job, which I actually think is doing a good job. <laughs> and and I do think people should be hiring people full-time in-house. I'm just a little tired of being introduced to brand new DEI SVPs and getting these requests for one-off trainings when I think it's going to take a lot more than that to actually achieve equity. Absolutely. And they're always urgent requests and they're always like the bottom of the barrel budget wise. So I feel your frustration. Totally. Lori, are you binging or cringing? So I'm going to put this in the binge category, but I've only seen one episode of this show because it just premiered. Who has seen the show Queens on Hulu? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. It just came out. This is with Eve and Brandy and it is absolutely lives up to the hype. As a Philly girl, I have loved Eve since I was a teenager and seeing her back on screen is a treat. And there, I won't spoil anything, but there is a plot line in the show where she goes from quote unquote nasty bitch to a mom with um, her breast milk leaking into a sweater within the matter of 30 seconds. And it's very enjoyable and also relatable. So I can't wait to see where this show goes. Well, I will check that out. Yes. So normally this is where we would tell our recorded audience to fast forward to avoid any spoilers. But since so many of you are here in person, please don't get up and walk out. But if you have not seen Ted Lasso season one or season two, we're about to spoil all of it. Even even the topic of today's show is a spoiler. So we apologize, but uh, we hope the, the wine and biscuits See are. some angry nodding there. <laughs> Sorry to these people. <laughs> so let's get into it. Ted Lasso. I know some people are diehard fans. Some people have a more complicated relationship to this show. Um, but for those of you who haven't seen it at all, 
It's actually based on a character that Jason Sudeikis debuted in a series of ads. And the show follows an American football coach who was hired to coach the other kind of football in England, despite having no experience doing so. And of course, we know women being hired for their experience, men are hired for their potential. So this is not a new phenomenon. So it's like a pretty basic saccharine premise, but it turns out that this was a huge hit during the pandemic. I think a lot of us are just like dopamine deprived. And so whatever kind of sweet moments we can find, we're just going to grab onto it. Like we're like ready to drop the illusion of, I think, emotional depth in some ways, although the show does hit you a little bit hard once you get into it. And tonight we are talking about the topic of couples who have significant age gaps. And specifically, we're going to get into episode eight of season two, where one of those couples uh, is revealed. The setup before we get into revealing the couple is that this season, AFC Richmond, the uh, British football team that the show centers around, has a new sponsor. And that sponsor is a dating app called uh, Banter. And you can talk to each other. The premise is that instead of swiping left and right based on photos, you can actually start a conversation without knowing who the other person is. Yes. And so, of course, the team owner, Rebecca Welton, who's played by Hannah Waddingham, who I also... As a side note, I love her on sex education as well. And that's one of the shows that we chose to, to cover in this season of Cringe Watchers. So we'll be talking about her again. But she's flirting on the app and she hasn't met this person yet. It's anonymous. And so there's a bit of a misdirect and the show implies that it actually could be Ted Lasso himself. But it turns out instead to be Sam Obisanya, who's one of her star players. And it's played by the actor Toheeb Jamo. And, you know, it's controversial because they don't say, I don't think how old Rebecca is in real life. The actress is somewhere around 45, 47, which is interesting because it's not that much older than I am. And they feel like they're constantly talking about how old she is <laughs> as compared to so her, rude. <laughs> her ex-husband's new wife. Yeah. Uh, but on the show, they definitely say that Sam is 21 and everyone kind of does a double take when they calculate uh, how what large uh, age difference they have. I'd say this couple is getting a lot of press. Alyssa Rosenberg had a column in The Washington Post with the headline. Ted Lasso is a sweet show, but this season's big romance has a sour taste. So it's controversial. It's interesting. This is not an adult dating a minor. He's 21. He's a very wealthy uh, soccer star with, with autonomy, so free to do what he wants. But still, people, fans had a strong reaction to this show. Uh, I also read an article, a kind of listicle, the going through what famous footballers the Ted Lasso characters were based on. And when it got to Sam, the answer was just stars in general who take a knee. And so I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> Is he the Kaepernick of the sweet Ted Lasso role? <laughs> No, <laughs> he is not because, I mean, first of all, in this show, his career suffers not at all for the stance that he does take. I won't spoil that part. Um, so it would be more of like a Capern knockoff, if anything, because he, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the podcast before, Layla's the wonk and I make some questionable jokes. <laughs> That's our dynamic. Okay, get with it. Um, but yeah, basically, I, I don't see him as Kaepernick like at all. But I am really interested, you know, when it comes to age gaps and how they're depicted in TV generally, 
In 2021, in our modern feminist times, we usually see age gaps with older men and younger women as a caricature of anti-feminism, as we do with Rebecca's ex-husband. He's uncomplicatedly a villain in this show. And part of that is him dating a younger woman after her. And of course, like in general, the idea of an older man with a young woman is sometimes wrapped up in the idea of a sugar daddy, which we're going to talk about with our guests in a little bit. It's true. And then on the flip side, there is a growing feminist conversation about whether or not this legal conversation that focuses just on statutory rape and, uh, you know, someone who's above 18 dating someone who's below 18 being a predator and the younger person being prey as though teenagers don't have any autonomy, as though that's the only way to look at these relationships. It's kind of a it's it's a false divide. And it's also the legal system is not the way to solve that power dynamic problem, whether or not you have a problem with big age gaps that pretty much the only uh, discourse that we have is around this these like passing laws. And I think there's a growing awareness among feminist circles to say we need to dig deeper into this to protect women and girls or to protect younger people, but also to recognize them as full humans. 100%. So I am so pleased. I could not imagine a more perfect person to unpack all of this with today. And I just want to say on a personal note, like our guest today in many ways is just too good for all of us. Like she is a star, like she is 100% killing it in the game. This is her book. Bad Fat Black Girl, Notes from a Trap Feminist. And I have known this person over a decade decade at this point. And from the minute I read her words and met her, I knew she would go so far and she is fulfilling that and more. So you may know Cecily's writing from Nylon, Refinery29, The New York Times, or of course, Feministing. And all of you all must buy her book, buy at Bad Fat Black Girl Notes from a Trap Feminist, because I started reading it and I just could not put it down. It's written in her signature authenticity and wit and humor. And I'm hoping to use the royalties to pay off my student loans. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that part too. (laughs) So without further ado, please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Cecily Bowen. I feel so special because people who aren't at the live show, they don't get claps when they come on the show. Hey, you're the first person. That's so true. But thank you for being our first IRL guest. We're so excited. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Well, also, Lori was my first editor. I don't know if she said that. You need no editor. I am a writer because of Lori. That is an overstatement completely, but it's my pleasure. So let's get right into it, Cecily. And I know you're not going to hold back with us today, but we looked into some of the data. And actually, like age is a big predictor in the success of marriage. So it turns out even a five year difference makes a couple 18 percent more likely to divorce, according to some studies. But of course, all these studies they are looking at hetero couples. They're looking at wealthier couples. They're looking at white couples. So an age gap is very rarely the only power dynamic going on. And that is definitely true for this couple that we're talking about, Rebecca and Sam, as well. So I want to hear from you, how can other identities like Rebecca, the fact that Rebecca's his boss or the fact that she's a white woman and he is a Nigerian immigrant to England, how do all these other identities also factor into Rebecca and Sam's dynamic? And like, do age gaps mean the same things for different kinds of couples? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And I love that you hit the nail on the head when you call them power dynamics, because that's usually what makes people uncomfortable about big age gaps because usually what that implies is that there is 
an imbalance of power that makes the relationship weird and cringy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was a moment. I also just want to clarify for the listeners, for everyone here, I had never seen... Ted Lasso before. I thought Ted Lasso was a white actor who I only <laughs> recognized by face. I did not realize that it was a completely fictionalized <laughs> name of a show. <laughs> so I, I, so I, I have only watched this episode, but there's this moment where, I guess I'm assuming spoilers are okay. Yes. There's a moment where they have the big game and they lose terribly. And uh, Sam is giving an interview and this woman who... I guess they hadn't hooked up at that point, but they had, you know, had a meeting from accidentally from this app. And there's this moment where he's giving this interview and she walks past him, like shooting him daggers, mm. like because she's so disappointed, I guess, that they have lost this game. And I was like, nah, it's giving. Yes, Massa it's giving oh. it's giving my <laughs> physical labor dictates whether or not like you have a good day, like. You absolutely do not deserve this dick. Is my personal <laughs> how I felt about you know the interaction, and I do think you have to consider things like that. I think you have to consider even if there is an imbalance of power. One of the things you have to consider is how does the person who has less of the power stand to benefit mm. from the power that this person has? And I can't say that in this relationship, based on what I've seen so far, he stands to gain a lot from being in this relationship. I actually think. He stands to lose a lot if people find out that he's sleeping with this woman. And then also from y'all's intro, because, again, I have not watched any more of the show. <laughs> it seems like he might have had a little, you know, a little Black Lives Matter moment. Yes. Yeah. Baby, Twitter going to drag you when they find out you with this <laughs> woman. Like, you, it's over for you. It's over for you. And so, yeah, we we absolutely have to consider things like race. You know, it's, it's never just the age unless it's someone who is preying on someone because their age lends them to be inexperienced, you know, not knowledgeable, not able to consent. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's usually when we get into this space of like consensual adults, it's never just about the age. I feel like we always have to kind of look at where's the money? Where's the race? Where's the class? What are the jobs? I think that's what was more inappropriate for, for me. It was the fact that she is his boss, the role that she plays in his life. 100 percent yeah yes yeah. i mean what did you buy him as a character i have a lot of trouble with sam as a character no i mean i was to be honest very surprised at how many black people i saw just even in the 50 minutes of television that i watched <laughs> on a show called ted lasso but <laughs> i was interested in how aggressively he pursued her yeah i was like yeah this is what you saw and was like because for me right especially because okay okay all right <laughs> It's early in the interview. Because Don't hurt us. I too can get excited when seeing someone in a very well tailored suit and some red bottoms. Okay, that that too would be attractive to me. Yeah, as a person with six figures worth of student loans, right? <laughs> he is a very well-paid right. footballer. Is that what they call him? Footballers. Yes. He's a very well-paid footballer. So like. He, I, I think he was just like attracted to her. That I found that weird. I found that weird. I found that not to be believable. I don't think his Nigerian mother would approve. And I, you know, so so no, was not buying it. No, same. And like I, I, I feel like he's British Nigerian, like doing his parents' accent. He, it always takes me yeah. out. Of it. And he's like so so sweet and saccharine. But I don't know. She's the owner of the team. 
So I don't know yeah. if that was clear in this episode. So. I, I got that. I got. I was trying to figure out when he said that she was his boss, I was trying to figure out what that meant because I'm like, she's not his coach. Yeah. So I figured she probably had yeah. some stake in either who was sponsoring them or right. who, who actually owned the team. Right. And I don't know. It was also just like, is this guy, is this the guy who's in power? Does he play like a drug dealer in power? Okay. Maybe that's also why I wasn't buying it because my <laughs> my girlfriend makes me sleep watch power because I, I would never Yo, watch that on my own. But I think my man does the same. Yeah, like I would never watch that. But I I, I think he was on that. And I also think that's why I was unbelievable. Yeah. Right? That, because that is the only other role that I have. Reference. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I have a follow up. You just you you put a lot out there. I'm I'm so appreciative of this. Um. So I have a follow up. Basically, in your book, you actually and and prior to your book, but in your book, you talk about trap feminism, mm-hmm. and this is something that you coined, and you talk about the progression of you know your own relationship to feminism feminism over time and how trap feminism really for you you know feels most authentic. So you just kind of laid out really a theory about age gaps and on all these different conflicting identities and how they might overlap. I'm curious, you know, in our intro, Layla, she talked about how feminism and the rules of dominant feminism indicate that older men dating younger women, predators, case closed. What does trap feminism have to say about that situation? You know, does it... Trap feminism (laughs) says you should go talk to that girl and see what she has up her sleeve. Mm. Because... Why? Why is she dating this person? Like, what does she stand to gain? Does she know that? Mm -hmm. And if she does know that, is it possible that this is a strategic decision that she has just made Mm -hmm. to better her situation? And I think all trap feminism asks us to consider is how women who are often talked about might have agency if we are willing to talk to them and hear directly from them. And so I think that is just, that's the problem with a lot of the ways that we talk about these kind of power dynamics because we are only interested in like the imbalance of power and not how someone might be trying to tip the scales because it doesn't look like going to a rally with your pussy hat on. Mm. No. Um. Can I quote you to you? And, and then I know you have a question, but I just love to do this. I'm going to quote you to you. So you have actually written about this topic. Yes. And this was a while ago. So this was maybe like eight, nine years ago. So in internet years, this was a really long time ago. Well, first of all, you wrote, while it's never too early to learn how to set boundaries, teenage girls should not have to establish and enforce them with adult men. So I think that's that's there. But then you also wrote, you know, that teenage girls, sort of to to your point of what you were just saying, that they sometimes can negotiate their own agency within the context of these relationships. So do you stand by that? Yeah, I still stand by that. Yes. I still stand by the fact that a teenage girl can affirmatively say yes to an offer that has been presented to her that never should have been presented to her in the first place by the adult. And I think that that makes people very uncomfortable to consider how those two things can be true at one time. Yeah. But the truth is that it is. And rather than have the conversation about the predatory nature of people who seek out consent from younger parties, we would rather just kind of ignore how complicated giving consent is from young people. And, you know, 
I was able to interrogate that because like a lot of my work is in reproductive justice. Also, because when I was 13, I was in a very inappropriate relationship with one of my neighbors who was 23. And so I had a lot of time to sit and really think about this because like, and for me, at least the way I most recently thought about it, like in the writing process, when someone asked me today, well, why were you okay, like sleeping with this grown man? What other reason do I have to give except the fact that I was 13, I was fast, I was boy crazy, and that as a black girl, you know, we are battered over the head with like, you no to boys, no to sex. You should not be doing anything with anybody. And if you do do that, you're in trouble because you have made the wrong decisions. And what that creates is a very broad field of what is prohibited to me. So like at that age, there was no difference between me like messing around with him than it would have been messing around with like some 15 year old boy who was my age because like technically I shouldn't have been doing either. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is that if we are not willing to have conversations with young people about power as opposed to just like their sexuality and like how they should and shouldn't be using it, a lot of shit gets lost in that. Yes. You know, a lot of things get lost in this idea that I did not think this dude was a creep. Mm -hmm. Like, I just thought that he was another boy who wanted my attention and wasn't supposed to have it because I just wasn't supposed to be talking to boys. And, you know, thank God I don't like boys anymore, so I don't have to worry about it. (laughs) You know, one of the reasons I'm excited for other people to dig into your book is because you it's it's also a very helpful glossary. There are a lot of definitions in your book, and one one of my favorite parts is a list of things a young black girl needs to do to be considered fast. Mm-hmm. And it starts with, like, develop hips. Anything. Yeah, anything. <laughs> anything. Not obey her parents. Anything. And I think that's what you're talking about. I know we have other questions, but you're... I, I think that's what the feminist conversation is trying to dig up. Right. The, like, if we only talk about what's legal and illegal, we're missing this bigger point where it's not the burden of this of, of you at 13 to say yes or no right. to express your sexuality. Yeah. It's like, why is this older person, why is that right. even of interest to yeah. that older person? And I mean, Lori and I have talked about this a little bit, but uh, we have a really huge age gap relationship in my family that's had like generational mm. cascades. My grandparents were like more than 40 years apart. Mm. And so my and and I hesitate to share that story sometimes because they're uh, you know they were in Iran they're Muslim it reinforces a ton of stereotypes whenever I tell people my grandfather had four wives they always think oh at the same time mm-hmm. but no he was a very old man who outlived yeah. three wives probably right. because childbirth killed a lot of women at that time he was over a hundred when I was born so he was born in like the 1870s so another era another country. Yeah. But my grandmother was like 14 or 15, and one of the only in-depth conversations we've ever had in my life was her saying how much she cried and didn't want to go. She had like no education, no money, but a very fancy last name that attaches us theoretically to a, an empire, but no, no, nothing tangible to show for that. And he was the postmaster of the province where my family is from in the part of Iran near Kurdistan. And so it was like an old man with a title, and more importantly, a two-year-old kid from his wife who just died. And so he was looking for a babysitter, yep. and her parents were looking for financial stability. And what that means is I now have first cousins whose grandchildren are older than me. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, that means I have a father who had a very old man for his own father, and as a parent, has maybe been too much of a friend, mm-hmm. has overcorrected to be my buddy because his father couldn't do anything with him. Right. And sometimes I'm like, let's go be a parent. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not hang out. The laughter is because everybody knows my dad. And it's it's so, I'm so grateful to both of you for sharing that. And 
the the through line that I hear is actually the ways in which an oversimplified feminism fails both of those like truths in a way, and that there's just the, the room for nuance, we need to create it more. Um, and it reminds me of how I've been part of like feminist coalitions where, you know, they there's a term in feminism for what you just described and it's child marriage, right? So these, there's this idea of child marriage is this issue that absolutely everybody can get behind and just say, listen, that's terrible. No one should be marrying children that, you know, these age gaps, this is how we codify this into law. And very often this issue is portrayed to your point as an issue that happens over there outside of the U.S. in the far and other. But what some of the most interesting and, and challenging parts of my time in reproductive health advocacy have been when people pushed back on that and actually looked at some of the state um, state level restrictions that they were trying to pass in the name of preventing child marriage. And when you look at the fine print, they were actually criminalizing consensual sex among teenagers, um, which would have a disproportionate impact on men of color. And, you know, cause those are the ones that are going to be prosecuted under those kinds of laws. And so as a modern feminists, you have to find the courage and the nuance to be able to push back and say, actually, this issue that we're all against in the name of protecting girls, I'm not in favor of these laws that are being done in in these ways. Um, and so that's those are really hard conversations. And it's really hard to have a women's march on an issue like that. But I, I just really hear so much, you know, so much just truth and honesty in what you're sharing. I just want to thank you both. Yeah. And one of my other questions is, like, do we do we even see these age gaps? I mean, the, most of the time, it takes a really extreme age gap or an extreme circumstance for it to make headlines, to, to, to generate conversation. Uh, you know, the, the R. Kelly trial and like resurfacing his relationship with Aaliyah, there have been a lot of headlines about whether or not he forced her to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And that's an extreme case that was not at all questioned at the time. Mm -hmm. And I, to be honest, I don't know that that's an extreme case. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I see it a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I've been having a lot of conversations with like, women my age or women in, younger than me in their 20s who are like, yeah, when I go out to brunch with my dad, like I'm taking these measures to make sure no one thinks that this is the person that I'm dating. Like, <laughs> because a lot of people are actually wow. dating people who are significantly older than them. I, I actually think it's more common. I think what we have to thank for that is a kind of more transparency. I won't say popularizing. I'll say more transparency that is happening around like soft sex work, which mm. is, which are these kind of like transactional relationships that are happening between couples and usually age is a thing with that. Like, I, I just think that like the idea of a sugar daddy and a sugar baby is like more present in like the public imagination than it has ever been. And so I don't know, like even with like, R. Kelly is a soft subject for me just because I'm from Chicago and mm -hmm. I went to the same high school as R. Kelly and he would pull up. Wow. To the school and those administrators would let him be hanging out outside of the school, you know, under this guise of like this hometown hero alumni is here to like hang out with the youth and just, you know, let them, you know, touch his touch the hem of his coat when it's like, no, he was there like to pick up high school girls. And again, us as the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, baby, we was texting. Yeah. R. Kelly's here. We're going to ditch this class. Let's try to get out there. Like we, because we were teenagers, yes, like right. that is what excited us. And it's so, uh, and even then the outside of him, like 
I knew a lot, like a lot of my friends in high school, like, yes, had older boyfriends that had cars that would come pick them up. We didn't think it was anything wrong with it. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to say that as teenagers. And I think it took us becoming adults to be able to look back and to look at our peers, especially our male peers, to say, like, if you showed up to my house party with a 17-year-old girl that you just picked up from school Mm -hmm. earlier today, Mm -hmm. like, I would make you leave my house, you right. know, because that's weird as fuck. And I felt that way even when I was in college. It was yeah, like, even yeah. by the time I was out of college, I was like, if any one of my peers were to be dating a high schooler right now, like, I would not be able to speak to them anymore at all. What changed was my understanding of the power dynamics. Like, I still completely understood why a high schooler would be so excited that their boyfriend was 23 and had a car. Right. Like, you know, like, <laughs> right. that makes a lot of sense to me, but also because it has to do with the power, right? What's the one thing that teenagers don't have? Freedom. Independence. <laughs> mm. So you start dating someone who can take you places. Yes. Right. Who has money to buy you stuff that your parents say, hell no, nah, I'm not buying you that. Right. Or because you're not old enough to have a job yet to do, you know, like, that's the thing that they don't have that this other person has, and this other person has an awareness that they have it and this young person does not. And so, like, the onus is on them because they are using the power that they have to like pursue this person who does not. Right. But I think beyond teenagers, like if if, like that, that's, that's what I meant by extreme. Like that's clear cut Mm -hmm. in this show alone. This woman, Rebecca, in in the beginning of the show, you understand that her husband left her for Mm -hmm. a younger version is dating a younger Rebecca. And that didn't generate think pieces. Right. Mm -hmm. What we're obsessed with right now is this older woman and this younger man. Like, why do we see it? I know in my, uh, like, women's magazine browsing, people are obsessed with Holland Taylor and Sarah Paulson. People are obsessed with age differences. And I think that we're more obsessed, or we're differently obsessed when the woman is the older one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because that was what was interesting to me. There was this prefacing of their relationship Mm -hmm. as ridiculous like Mm -hmm. from jump she was like you're a child you're 21 no i'm not doing this this is stupid (laughs) this is embarrassing like it was like oh she's in this embarrassing position she is down on her luck and like this is the thing that's kind of going to bring her a lot you know back alive like yes you know because i really can't imagine a lot of other people who were probably like yeah she's gonna get this Young Nigerian Dickens is gonna change her life and she's gonna <laughs> she's not gonna care about her ex-husband that left not her anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I I think that that was interesting because I felt like there was a I feel like whenever we're talking about older women and younger partners, there's always an acknowledgement. I feel like there's like it's like almost like a breaking of the fourth wall where there's some acknowledgement that this is inappropriate, that it's not Mm -hmm. right. And there's a way in which I feel like we don't always do that when we're talking or when we see older relationships between men and women, older men and younger women on screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I almost feel like there's a way in which patriarchy tells, like, even, you know, feminist or, you know, serious, you know, young women, say you're in your 20s or 30s, hetero women to date older men because patriarchy excuses the Peter Pan syndrome that says that our peers 
are not ready to, <laughs> I'm getting, <laughs> one person knows what I mean, who that says that our peers are like not ready to commit to us or are, you know, having their moment where they can like sow their wild oats. And so there's also, there's the demand side, but then there's also that patriarchy is also driving that supply side for the young women. But I feel like that, the, even that advice only works for women who are already like kind of invested in patriarchy. Yes. Because the idea yes. is that like you're ready to settle down and get married and be someone's wife. And the only people that are ready to do that are these older men. Older and men. it's like, or That's maybe you just like are looking for something different in yeah. like partners and you need to just find the person who has that. Like I almost, I think in some ways people think that dating older men is easier mm. I mean I'll just say within my community of people the allure of dating older men is just that like they have money and these young niggas do not yes. you know it's like it's very like clear it's very like you know like like you know just based on age this person is probably more advanced in their career has probably accomplished more is, understands 401k that probably is the direction that we are trying that that we should be going especially because like the the issue that a lot of my straight friends and I'm I'm keeping this conversation within a very kind of heteronormative bracket I can't relate but um like what I'm hearing from a lot of our straight friends is that you know they're they're very like successful it's like that being Mary Jane syndrome mm. they are like these successful black women they're PhDs they are lawyers and pharmacists and the men that they are meeting particularly for those of them who are interested in dating black men you know the, the men that they are are meeting are not as successful as they are you know and they want a partner that feels like they are on equal footing and so I think the narrative becomes that in order to find that they have to date someone who is older, someone who is more established mm -hmm. so that so that they can feel like they have that partner. Um, I, I love that. And Cecily, what you're saying also, it makes me think about reality versus illusion. Yes. Like are older men actually more successful or exactly. is it just that their being older allows us to trick ourselves into yeah. seeing them that way? The old men who try to flirt me at the gas station <laughs> say otherwise about the myth of older men being more successful. Right. You know, like it's just, it's, I don't know that that's necessarily true right. either. Yeah, I think it just becomes. So I have a question that but was. I will okay, say. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. If you have to close it. your eyes and picture somebody who is twenty five, yeah, who has a established retirement savings, at least a six figure salary. You're speaking my language. <laughs> who are you envisioning though? Like, is that somebody you want to date? Because when I think about a 25-year-old who is together financially, I imagine a horrible person. Well, so this a is horrible a, this is This is a question I have for both of you. Do you have a cap? Do you have an age range? Is there, what, what is like the high end oh, of what you would know? Don't ask me. I don't have a cap. Lower cap? I have a lower cap, yes. <laughs> I absolutely have a lower cap. I don't, I don't even like to date anyone who's a year younger than me. Like, I don't, I don't even like to date. No, no, no. I would date. I'm 33. I'm in a very delicate age range because <laughs> I think in your early 30s, you know, you could still be trying to figure shit out or you could really have figured it out. So so it gets tricky if I dip down. What about you, Layla? I don't know. I mean, I it, it's interesting. As someone with a younger sister and a very attractive younger sister, I've always been very defensive about uh, big age ranges. And, and I think, uh, you know, especially when we were in uh, like our, our younger years, I was very judgmental if she wanted to date someone older if, uh, or if older men were showing interest in her. But I did end up marrying someone who's not 
who's who's like nine years older, which is pro- maybe the biggest age range I've ever dated, but it's the one that stuck. So yeah. I, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I typically have tended to date people about that much older, like between five and ten years older. Um, and I, yeah, I can't get into the psychology of that, but I would be open to younger. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Also, just hey, feel very called to say that I am a Capricorn, and I also think that it is kind of dangerous for me to date people who are younger than me because my toxic trait is that, like, I think that people are very manageable. Like, I try to be like I am bossy. Okay, like I really need like I and I, I can't have like I just feel like I would feel like I had a child, an adult child, if I was dating someone younger than me because I would be like, oh. I know you're still trying to figure out your career passion, but like, oh, if you just did, like, I just, I think uh, it's, I think it's safe to say, regardless of age, the three of us need to be in a relationship with somebody who can hold their own. Yes. Fair? Okay. Period. <laughs> okay. Period. Vocal New York is a statewide grassroots membership organization that builds power among low-income people directly impacted by HIV/AIDS the drug war, mass incarceration, and homelessness. They accomplish this through community organizing, leadership development, advocacy, direct services, and direct action. We were very lucky to have Vocal New York represented at our live event. Thanks so much for coming out and showing love, Alisa and Carl. And you can learn more about this amazing organization at www.vocal-newyork.ny. We're going to go into the cringe fire with Cecily. So for those who have not listened yet, this is a rapid fire round of questions. It's just going to just share what's the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. So our first question is, what is there another show that you're binging other than Ted Lasso, which we know that you've watched start to finish? Um, on my block <laughs> on Netflix, I just finished on my block on Netflix. Ooh. I am embarrassed at how much I cry during that show and Squid Games, of course, because that's what everybody's watching. Oh. Okay, amazing. Now, what is? Oh, some- and I'm always rewatching Fresh Prince or Hey Arnold. Okay, <laughs> always. Oh, hey I'm Arnold, always. I'm hey. always rewatching Fresh Prince and Hey Arnold. Always. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, what is something in the world or society at large that you are finding so cringy at the moment? Student loans. <laughs> okay, nothing if not consistent. We love to see it. Is there an uh, an aspect of sex or sexuality that you think should be better portrayed in pop culture, on TV, in literature, and film? Um, kink. Hmm. Um, like different bodies. Yes. Having like pleasurable and like fulfilling relationships, so like fat people, people with disabilities, um, yeah. Like I just think I would like to see more like body representation and also kink, and also sex work. Yes, maybe, maybe all in one show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can write it. Yes, yes. We are manifesting that are tonight. Listening. We are manifesting <laughs> that for you. Okay, last one. What's a favorite scene that you have depicting sex or sexuality? It could be TV, film, or even in a book. Gabby City Bay sex scene on Empire. Ooh, like three or four yes. years ago. And he ate, oh, baby, the, the kids was pissed <laughs> that she was having sex up on that rooftop when everybody else had had sex on that show before. I right. didn't understand it. Yeah, I think that was like really important. I was Amazing. really, I was really happy to see that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Cecily. Thank Amazing. You. Yeah.
Okay, time for the questions. Okay, this is a comment, I believe. When I was younger, older was interesting. Eight to 10 plus years and younger was not. But now that I am 53, older than 60, not appealing and younger definitely is. Who wrote this? <laughs> Who wrote this? Show yourselves. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, do you, is there anything you want to elaborate on there? Yeah, I think it says it all. It says it all. You know what? It says it all. Thank you for your truth. Appreciate you. Layla, what you got? Uh, I think we can guess who wrote this. What age got to do with it? I am 70 years old. <laughs> thank you, Carl, for the comment. <laughs> <laughs> and one other, which is when looking at age gaps, what do you think is the difference in perspective from people in their older bracket versus people in their younger bracket? Um, is that like a difference between like teenagers and adults or versus like being like older? I don't we I don't know what's on this. Card, like a difference between like a 40 and 60 year old versus a 40 and a 20 year old. Right. Like what's your yeah. criteria on the low end? What's your criteria? Well, yeah, because okay. I mean, I do think that that's, that's interesting because and forgive me if this is just ignorance on my part but I just feel like if you're 70 does it matter if the person is 50 or 40 is that 10 year difference like does the, is the 50 year old significantly more experienced than the is the 40 year old is there anybody here who can speak to yeah. that anybody at all <laughs> I'm I'm 70 years old I love young people it's all about the feelings, you know, what you feel inside of you, you know, and um, what does love got to do with it? That's true. And it also is energy, you know, too, because I do know, energy. I do know older, like one of my best friends um, just had a, 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 you know, her partner, they have a kid and everything, but he is older than us by maybe like 15 or so years, but he very much so gives young people energy like he parties more than us he hangs out more like got just, you like I think energy I, I really appreciate you saying that because it is about like I think the type of lifestyle that you live as well because I think that's the other thing too when we talk about age gaps it's like what lifestyle would you as like a 27 year old be living that is in alignment with like the homecoming dance that a 17 year old mm, is planning to yeah. go to yes versus right what is your lifestyle as a 27 year old maybe fresh out of college just starting off your career versus a 47 year old who might be a little bit more established in their career maybe divorced is really trying to restart life and you might actually find that there's a lot of alignment there because like this person who's fresh off this divorce is like trying to figure out who they really are really get their life started. And then like you as this 27 year old are kind of doing the same thing. So like there could be this huge age gap, but then there's also a similarity and kind of like what type of lives are y'all living, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I think we always have, when it comes to the, the grown folks, mm -hmm. we always have to look at what more of what is going on. And that's yeah. usually, to be honest, I don't think I've said this yet since I've been here. That's why usually I just try to mind my business. <laughs> <laughs> Snaps to that. Okay, we got two really, really good questions. This one is, how do the politics of age gaps change in relationships of people from different backgrounds, race, class, nationality? And then this person is recommending that we binge Love is Blind Brazil. <laughs> Thank you for the rec. Um, and then the second comment question, what are your thoughts on sex tourism, especially for women of color who are younger? Mm -hmm. Talking about race, age, and gender identity, please. 
So those are both really thoughtful questions. Thank you for those. My thoughts on sex tourism is that, you know, (laughs) if you're going to participate, pay double or triple (laughs) what they ask because that's real. The price. Right. It's deflated because yes, of child. global inflation is just, <laughs> oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, you know, sex work for a lot of people is um, a survival economy. Like, it's it's a way to make money. People, people enter, like, the sex industry for the same reason that they take a job at Walmart. Would they Is that how they would prefer to spend their days? Probably not. Maybe not. But, you know, it pays the bills. And it is... For people who have the power financially, which usually is the case for people who can afford to, you know, travel somewhere to, you know, pay to play. Help them girls out. Mm-hmm. Like, tip. Are y'all tipping? Yeah. Like, pay more than what than what the asking price is. Like, just because you can. It's already an informal economy. You ain't got to write the shit off on your taxes. You ain't got to pay the exact amount. <laughs> pay some more. Fair uh, enough. Okay. Yeah. Thank I you. To live by. I also just want to, real quick. I'm sorry. I... I think those kind of questions are like lead us into like overly simplistic feminist traps sometimes Mm. when we are expected to pick like one answer or the other, because like the truth of that conversation about like why people need to do survival sex work is like actually a conversation about like globalization and poverty and like world poverty and, you know, colonization and like shit that is honestly above my pay grade. Mm -hmm. So Fair enough. Absolutely. Uh, This is a question about same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. So do we think that there's a difference in age gaps when it comes to same-sex couples? So I find that in some same-sex interracial and intergenerational relationships, they tend to cause more cringes than same-race intergenerational relationships. Discuss. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have seen that phenomenon. Absolutely. Absolutely want to validate that. And I think especially because, like, I'm thinking especially about gay men right now, which is a culture that is, like, that can be, I should say, not to to generalize, that can be very hyper-focused on, like, looks and youth. And I also feel like I have seen that, where, like, some very uncomfortable dynamics between, like, older daddies and, like, younger twinks. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned earlier that, you know, it's a pretty heteronormative conversation in yeah, general. And, you know, I don't think it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think this was this was a heteronormative couple that we were centering the conversation on. But there is data that shows that like abuse and, you know, violence is actually more common among same sex couples yeah. and specifically among women. And I mean, these are some things that can go against what we think of generally when we think of power dynamics, because we do center heteronormative conversations. So we don't immediately go to think about, well, what are the power dynamics between two women together? But of course, that's really important. And I almost think anything that is more in the shadows is going to lend itself to more exploitation because you feel like I'm alone in this. It's not a known phenomenon. Like in many ways you were kind of asking about this earlier, Layla, but this idea of like, we, we automatically know to look for a predator when we see an age gap between an older man and a younger woman. But when we see two women, we're not as prone to do that. And so I definitely think that that can, that can come into play a lot. And you know, it's something that I would love to see explored more and written about more in media and thank you oh oh okay Uh writer in the house (laughs) love it thank you this is a pointed comment i'm gonna read this one 
Okay. I feel like we're not being real. Mm. Say how you really feel. I feel like we're not being real about, I'm terrible at reading handwriting, about most women having access to younger men or men feeling socially available. People laughed at Ted Lasso because it's not the norm. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Relatedly, where does reproduction figure into conversations about sex, romance, and power? It is true. We did not get into the point that like my grandparents Mm -hmm. could, he could wait around and find a young woman to keep Mm -hmm. reproducing. It's it's such a luxury, and and so look that 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 ticking time clock and and pressure to reproduce is is not something that that uh, men are as as under the gun around. Yeah, and I also think you know to this commenter's point, like I think a lot of people excuse huge age gaps for that reason. Actually, right. like mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that this is a matter of like I feel like that's very much so often the excuse. Like, well, of course men want younger women because they're fertile and that's just natural for them to be attracted to that because it's biology it's biology (laughs) hello the science you know and like so yeah I don't think that yeah that's not a point that's missed on me I'll just say that (laughs) there's like a phenomenon on TikTok I don't know if people have seen this um of like really attractive younger women mostly like attractive young women of color and black women specifically expressing their desire for like an older sugar daddy. I don't know if people have like the uh, level up. It's called the level, level up movement. Thank you. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, yes, How familiar. have we not gotten to this yet? Yeah. So like, that's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> I, well, and to be honest, I think under that same rhetoric of like, of course, older men are attracted to like young fertile feminine women was this idea that women are actually like kind of repulsed by them. And so therefore the dynamic is that like, you have to like have your shit together and have all this money to be able to get this, this desirable ideal, like younger feminine partner that you want. And I think one of the things that's happening with like the level up movement, (laughs) if you will, (laughs) is this idea of like, I think it's it's happening from two places because one, I think that like there are women who are very unashamed to say these days that like, yes, I actually, yes, I am that. Mm-hmm. I have the womb. I have the brains, the beauty. I have, um, I can cook the meal. Mm-hmm. I actually like know the worth and the tax. So if you're going to come, come because it's like this idea that like anyone who, who doesn't have like, you know, the purchasing power essentially to get it. What's interesting to me about that, that's a different conversation for a different day because then we get into like beauty politics, politics Mm -hmm. of desirability, like who gets to level up, who does not, how a lot of it is very Mm anti-black, how a lot Mm -hmm. of it is very much so about like being less ghetto. Change yourself into as much of a white woman as you can so that you can like attract a high value man to like attract this specific demographic. But I do think that it's, you know, I like it because I like anything that makes men upset. (laughs) And men hate those girls. Oh, they can't stand those girls. Yes. They be so pressed in the comments. Like, um, <laughs> but it is, it that is really interesting and it really interesting phenomenon that is kind of part of this conversation. I will say though, I don't know, necessarily think that the argument from them, I don't think it's about like their desire to have older men in particular. I think right. it's really just about to have money. The money it's men. about having money men. And right. usually what that looks like is older. Is older is I older. think that's so true. And it's, as an example of how 
like a lot of this just permeates throughout the culture and our culture is very porous. And I think, you know, those conversations that might be starting in the level up movement, as you're calling it on TikTok, like I started to notice and and this just shows how, you know, women bend all, all boats rise or whatever they say. But um, I started to notice like, you know, um, people would offer compensation more readily, not just men in a romantic situation, but like on LinkedIn, if there was an offer for informational interview or coffee or a survey, like people are offering cash or they're at least acknowledging that, hey, I know your time is valuable. And so, you know, I do think it's one of those dynamics where even if there's still shame and stigma around acknowledging that you are explicitly naming your worth and explicitly chasing money, the labor that that movement is doing, it's still benefiting right. women yeah. more widely. Exactly. And fitting into a larger conversation around, yep. people, you know, unpaid internships, value people's time. Right. Absolutely. Like I've seen a sea change around that in the past two years. I think so too. All right. I think I have our last question, <laughs> which is related. Uh, and it's a similar question, which is being raised in an immigrant family whose parents have a large age gap. Clearly the relationship is a business transaction, but uh, would you say that that's wrong given that the marriage is uh, the best situation for both of them? Mm. I'd love to hear your perspective on that actually. Same. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think there's any right or wrong when uh, when people willingly enter. This is uh, especially because Peter's here. I'm thinking about high school English class where we all had to pick up with Pride and Prejudice which couple we thought would last. <laughs> and and um, I, I I picked the, the the homely friend because she knew what she was getting into. Yeah. You know, I always think that the people there, there are people who willingly enter into relationships, and as long as you know what you're getting now. I, I condemn this, this, the world where people feel like they, they have to do things they might not otherwise want to do to get ahead but, or to, to find security. That's not the issue. But if somebody entering into a relationship knowing that it's transactional, right. and uh, I think that, yeah, if that's the best situation for that person, then is it wrong? And I think it's incredibly complicated once you have children mm -hmm. because it's not, not your family mm -hmm. because, uh, the, because the original formation of family was uh, right. was transactional. Like I wouldn't be here without a transaction. Yeah. Mm. I don't think any of us would. Moral of the story. Okay. Well, I think we might be reaching the end of our conversation. You all should transact yourselves some <laughs> wine before it's gone. And you should also make a transaction at the bookseller of Yay. your choice to buy my book. Hey. <laughs> we, have, we just want to say thank you uh, before we go. Our logo and our cover art were done by our friend Judith Walker, who's been a partner from the beginning of the podcast. And Karen Chan uh, is our editor who's not here, but who's going to hear everything and make it pretty. So Dallas D.L. Engram created our theme song. That's the one part of the recorded podcast that you all haven't heard tonight, but it is truly epic. Um, he we commissioned this song specifically for the podcast and we told Dallas, you know, listen, it's about sex. It's about TV. Do your thing. This man wrote. A magnum opus. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is passionate. It's nasty. Opus. <laughs> it's nasty. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's not safe for work. So definitely um, check that out and you'll hear it when you listen to the recorded version of this. So thank you, Dallas. Our interstitial music is by Siddhartha Corsis and you can find both of those artists on SoundCloud. 
And I also want to thank Chris, who's here, my husband, for not eating the biscuits last <laughs> night, and for, for helping us put together the program. And thank you to my Zach for being my TV binge partner and for recommending my binge of the week, Queens, and generally knowing what will make me smile. We also want to thank Susanna Woodley. Thank you, Susanna, from Soho Works for making tonight possible and answering all of our pestering emails. We so appreciate it. And thank you to Danielle Parisi, our hostess, who really had the idea for this event, made it happen, and to Taika for all of your assistance as well. Really, this is beyond our dreams and our first in-person interview. So thank you. Thank you all. Enjoy. Have a fun night. That's it for our live show at Soho Works in Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And with this episode, we're kicking off season two. So we're back and you can expect new episodes every other Thursday. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.